everybody and welcome to a new episode of Evie's Korean Drama Podcast Show. My name is Evie, I'm your host, and I am a K-drama obsessive. So this is the show where I waffle on about all of the K-drama that I love. If you'd like to support the show, you can check out my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Evie Korean Drama Podcast. There you will find extra podcast episodes and updates on what I'm watching at the moment. Also, just before I get started, please be warned that I do swear a little bit on this show when I get excited. And when I'm talking about K-drama, I always get excited. Alright, so I thank you very, very much for listening and let's get on with the K-drama show. The K-drama that I'm discussing this week is the <laughs> uh, Warm and Cozy. So this is a 16-episode, I guess you would say it's trying to be a rom-com. <laughs> it's very light and fluffy, and it's from 2015, so it's from a little while ago. Um, um, I, I feel... Oh, I feel a bit, I don't want to say I feel angry, but I, f- I probably do feel a bit angry. <laughs> this drama starts off all right. Like it's like kind of charming against your like better judgment. And I just kind of was in the mood for something really dumb and fluffy and tropey. And then by the time I realized that it had been going around in circles and around and around and just repeating the same shit over and over and over. It's like I was too far in and I was just too far in to go back and I had to go through. So I watched the whole fucking thing, but also I have no idea why. I think because I was at a point with the main relationship where I kind of hated both characters. I didn't care. And I was like, I've watched fucking 14 hours of this show and I'm going to get it to the end and I'm going to watch them kiss. And then at least I'm going to have some sort of satisfaction potentially. Luckily for me, it is a good kiss scene in the last episode, but is it worth your time to get that far? I don't think so. Probably not. Um, at the start, it is pretty charming, but I guess um, I, I really, really lost my love for this show. So I guess I'll tell you guys why I picked it up, <laughs> which is a little bit embarrassing, but I'll tell you anyway. Um, I'm still very much so on the Yu Yon Suk train after kind of rediscovering my love for him after watching Mr. Sunshine, which I've talked about endlessly on this podcast and and won't go into again. Um, And I've kind of, I guess I've really, really since then delved into his whole backlist and like watched everything that he's been in that I haven't seen. Um, Because initially, you know, obviously Yu Yon Suk kind of had his big breakout role, I suppose, um, as the second male lead Chilbong in Reply 1994. And that came out in 2013. And I loved him in that like I just totally fell in love I, I you know the character was amazing it was total second male lead syndrome like I nearly died it was very sad <laughs> and I remember after that drama finished you know I was really keeping an eye out on what Yu Yeon-sook would do next I was super super interested um and I feel like a bit of a hypocrite again because I know I've kind of told this story already on the podcast because I was talking about kind of delving into Yu Yeon-sook's backlist because now I'm obsessed apparently And, um, 
you know, I said, oh, warm and cozy. Nah, it's shit. Like I, I hated his character in it. And then because I hadn't watched it for so many years, I kept thinking about the fact that I said that on the podcast and I was like, but I used to hate hospital shows and, and, you know, like all sorts of stuff I say, I reckon on this podcast all the time that the next episode I turn around and say the opposite thing. So <laughs> I feel like I'm constantly proving myself to be such a hypocrite. And I was like, why not be a hypocrite about warm and cozy as well? So I decided to, because I only watched like a couple of episodes, you know, way back in 2015. And I was like, maybe I feel differently about it now. And I'll tell you what, I don't, I fucking don't. <laughs> I was right the first time. Um, so I decided anyway to go back and watch it properly. And, you know, one of the things about it is I'm just sitting there like watching this drama. I'm like, why did you and Sok pick this show? Like, you know, it was a big deal. Um, Reply 1994 was like a really big breakout for him, I guess. Like, I feel like he became something like someone that everyone wanted to see what he would do next and was excited by whatever his next project would be. And Warm and Cozy is like this utter, for 2015, I feel like it's this weird regression back to absolute classic kind of K-drama story, like story beats and, and characters and stuff. Like, I think that it's interesting because I hadn't really thought about it, but I really feel that in recent years, definitely the last five years, if not more, I feel like K-dramas have, there isn't so many of that really, really classic kind of story framework to K-dramas where they're all exactly the same, kind of, if you know what I mean. I feel like there's, it's a lot more experimental now. It's um really, even in, you know, just plain rom-coms, I think the concepts are a little bit more different the characters are different and it's not always just fitting into those same well-worn pathways. Um, but Warm and Cozy does, like we've literally got, um, you know, a rich kind of man-child male lead uh, who's, you know, shit <laughs> and bit mean and useless. And we've got like a hardworking candy type female lead. We've got a Mr. Nice Guy second male lead. He's a bit quirky and fun to be fair. And we've got just like the evil for no reason at all second female lead who... <laughs> I actually thought was really fun in this drama, even though she's just so, you know, she's paper thin. Um, I don't mean her body. I mean her personality. I meant the writing of her personality. Um, and, you know, there's, there's basically no reason the characters just can't, the two main characters in the love story, there's no reason they can't just fucking be together, except that they just don't. And they don't for so long. And then they're like, oh, it's because of my dad or whatever and he did a hit and run and it's got to do with my brother and you're just like what the fuck show <laughs> what is even going on so you know because this is such a you know kind of traditional old school like really feels old-fashioned the structure of this show and you know it didn't come out that long ago only five years as I record this and I'm like why did you Yonsook pick such an kind of like old-fashioned project you know why didn't he pick something cool and then I looked at it and I realized that it is written by the Hong sisters. Um, so I'm sure Yoon Sook was like, oh my God, like this is a Hong sisters drama and they are very famous, um, you know, a sister pairing who write a lot of really famous dramas. 
I have a real hit and miss kind of relationship with them. Um, And the more I think about that, um, I realize that that's a bit of a personal thing that I think that they do quite right. Quite often, the male leads in their dramas have a little bit of that sort of man-child kind of petulant um kind of kind of vibe going on which doesn't always work for me like it's just a personal thing I get really annoyed by that kind of like yeah I don't know like grown men sort of having that you know whiny sort of petulant like it can totally come across as endearing and I think at the beginning of warm and cozy it it just walks the line and I I quite I didn't mind it um I still really liked the character that Yu Yeon Sook plays, Gunwoo. Um, but then, you know, <laughs> by the end, I've just like, I've had enough. Um, so other dramas, very famous dramas by um, the Hong sisters is, gosh, so many. So You're Beautiful from 2009 with Park Shin Hye. Um, I loved that drama. Uh, My Girlfriend is a Nine-Tailed Fox uh, from 2010. The Greatest Love, which I still haven't seen, but everyone says is amazing, from 2011. The Master's Son, 2012. So now you can see why. Like, look at that lead up to Warm and Cozy. That All of those were big hits, except for Big, which I think floundered a little bit, but the rest of them were really big. So I can totally now understand why Yu and Sook was like, a Hong sisters drama? Yes, please. That sounds like a hit maker. Unfortunately for poor Yu and Sook, um, it's a terrible, terrible, terrible show, um, <laughs> I think. <laughs> Um, there's still stuff to like in it, which I'll, I'll get onto later. There's a lot of stuff I liked. I mean, I did watch the whole thing. Like it can't have been so utterly bad. I think it's one of those things where the start is a lot better than how it ends. And by the time you've dragged yourself through the end, it's like you really poisoned against the whole thing. When in fact, there was a lot that I did really enjoy. Um, the most recent Hong sisters dramas are a Korean odyssey, 2017 and hotel del Luna, 2019. And both of those were really big, particularly hotel del Luna, which was just a smash hit, um, which I still haven't seen and really want to. So I guess I understand now why this drama exists, but it is a very interesting one. I think the Hong sisters are a little bit more high concept usually, you know, like a bit of supernatural, a bit of interesting things. And this drama like literally has no plot. And that kind of is charming at the start when you're just watching, you know, the characters interact. And I did like all that stuff, but you know, generally every drama with absolutely no plot, by the time you get to episode 16, you're like, what the fuck is even happening? Like, why is this, is this a show? Why have they not got together already? Because, you know, that's when obviously the writers have to put in really dumb reasons why characters can't get together because they don't have good reasons. Like, you know, one of them's a magical gumiho or something mad like that. (laughs) Um, All right. So I'm just trying to think of what else. Oh, I guess one thing that I think is pretty great about this drama that I really, really loved is the setting. So the whole thing is set on Jeju Island and Jeju Island is unbelievably beautiful. And I did like, you know, Warm and Cozy is a really nice name for the drama and it does have those vibes. It's set in this really tiny little kind of backwater village on Jeju Island and there's just, it's beautiful and there's the ocean behind every scene. They're working in this little restaurant that's gorgeous, that's right on the ocean, um, you know, cycling around and seeing, you know, just the, it's beautiful. So 
In terms of me and my travel bug and just loving to see other parts of the world and having never yet been to Jeju, I definitely will go one day if, you know, travel is allowed again. Um, I really, really enjoyed seeing all the Jeju Island stuff. Um, that was just super, super nice. Um, so there is a lot of cool stuff in this drama, but I guess um, I kind of went into the casting. I don't think there's anyone in this that I, like there's a lot of familiar faces. I think Yu Yun Sook obviously plays the main male lead, Gunwoo, a bit of a rich chebel, <laughs> uh, real like kind of, um, he's been disengaged from his family and sort of sent off and his credit cards have been canceled. And he's just like a total good for nothing, which again, the, the start of the drama, it's quite charming. Like it really walks the line between annoying you and charming you and just flips into the charming side. But by the end, he really, he does some stuff that you're just like, Oh no, like just, like, I think there was one point I was watching this drama and I was like, I want to punch this drama in the throat. Like, I really hate it right now. <laughs> so the female lead is played by the actress Kung Sora. Um, and the character's name is Jungju. Um, Kung Sora is not an actress that I am familiar with. Like, I, I don't think that I particularly personally love her and I've never really seen her in anything else except this um but she's quite famous and a lot of people know who she is so I don't know what she's been starring in I guess I could look that up and tell you but I won't um there's also like loads of side characters in the village and I've I actually really liked all the side characters in this um I, I found them all quite charming and didn't get bored and I think that is kind of props to this drama and the writing of the drama um particularly, uh, you know, in a drama where there isn't a lot of sort of high, <laughs> high concept plotting going on, you know, I really did find all the little side storylines quite charming. Um, so particularly uh, Gunwoo, the main, you know, played by Yoo Yeon-sook, has an older brother called, I don't know what he's called, but he's played by the actor Lee Sung-jae. And Lee Sung-jae is like this really rich hotel conglomerate owner. And he kind of, it's very funny little storyline actually. And I really liked it, but he's just so about his willpower and being like really strong about his willpower. And then one day he, he's trying to give up smoking and he just can't do it. And he won't admit to himself that he can't do it because he believes, you know, in his ridiculous willpower. And so he goes to have his very last cigarette ever, like again, at the end of a pier. And because it's so windy, it won't light. So he ends up like kind of crawling upside down, down these little stairs. And of course he falls in the ocean. And of course, you know, he nearly drowns for whatever reason. And a henyo, like a sea woman, a Jeju Island diver, um, like, you know, the traditional, they dive for abalone and stuff, um, turns up and saves his life and is certain that he was trying to kill himself and just treats him like a little idiot. Um, and obviously he's very rich and she has no idea. And he's just like, he just falls in love with her. And she is so good in this drama. She's played by the actress Kim Hee Jung, who is unbelievably beautiful. Like she is such a beautiful woman. And in the drama, she's meant to be 50. And I think maybe she might've been, you know, in her late forties, maybe, I don't think she would have been quite 50 when she filmed this. I don't think, but like, she is so beautiful. So, and I just, I found their whole romance really charming and I can't believe I did for a side romance. Um, and then we've also got the second male lead played by Kim Sung-ho, who is an actor I've seen. He's more like a character actor. I've seen him in a few different things. Um, and he just plays, you know, Mr. Nice Guy, but there's kind of a nice twist in that he's also the mayor of the village. He's a little bit petty, a little bit quirky and very, very likable to the point where like 
he never made me swoon. They like his kind of love for the female lead Jungju, but at the same time I was like Jungju, forget about freaking Gunwoo cuz he's a big idiot and she should totally have just got with a mare. I feel like she would have been really happy because Gunwoo is just hot and cold. Like he's not a warm and cozy dude. <laughs> um, and then there's the female lead played by an actress. Um, I think she kind of looked familiar, but I haven't really seen her in other stuff. I don't think. Um, and the actress's name is So Yeon. And I really liked her. Like it is such a classic female second lead tropey role. Like she's got no substance. All she does. And it's like, it's actually fucking hilarious. Like the main female lead, Jungju, will be like hanging out in the restaurant. And then um, the second female lead will just sort of like turn up. Like the restaurant's in the middle of nowhere. It's not near where the second female lead lives. She'll like drive all the way there, turn up, storm into the restaurant in her clicky clacky high heels and, you know, just say something cutting or manipulative or mean to the female lead and then just like turn around and like stomp out and get back in her car and drive back home. And it happened so many times. I thought it was so funny. So um, even though it was like such a, dumb classic second female lead thing I just weirdly liked it and I don't know why I think it's part of like I mean I guess the reason I picked up this show was because at the moment I've noticed I feel like I'm kind of transitioning out of it a little bit now but I've really been into kind of dumb fluffy light shows that's kind of the fair that I keep reaching for and I think it's probably something to do with our times and the way the world is um, but it's something that you know I've just been wanting lately And um, I think part of that, you know, ridiculous fantasy of it is having this idiotic second female lead. And, you know, like it's kind of fun seeing her be so like so catty and so mean only because, you know, you have this satisfying feeling that, you know, she's not going to get away with it. You know that the the female lead is going to totally like win at the end, Um, sort of wins. I mean, she wins Gunwoo, I guess, if she wants him by then. (laughs) So I think that's it for um, just kind of like the general overview. And then I'm, I'm just going to talk a little bit about what the drama is actually about in terms of the setup and the beginning, but I won't go into it too much. Like it's not really about much and it certainly spins its wheels a lot. And then I've got a few things I want to talk about that I did like because there are things that I really liked. And then I'm going to talk about the stuff that I fucking hated. <laughs> and then that'll be it. So the beginning of this drama and the setup is actually pretty weird. As teens, um, Jungju, the female lead played by Kung Sora, um, randomly is trying to find out who her mother is. And because of her birth date, um, she decides that her mother might be this really, really rich woman. So she goes and gate crashes this really rich woman's son's birthday party. And the son is, of course, Baek Gun-woo, um, played by Yoo Yeon-suk, um, who's, you know, living his rich, great life. And they're both teens. And Jungju goes up to Gunwoo and it's like, hey, Gunwoo, like we're born on the same day. I think we might be twins. And so the drama starts off with this idea that potentially these two characters are literally related to each other and are brother and sister, which I was like, that's a weird fucking thing to put into my brain before like a romance drama that I know is about these two people falling in love. And so uh, straight away, the drama sort of kind of tells you, no, it's not true, but you know that there's a connection between 
um, Jung Ju's dad and Gun Woo's mum. Like they've had a photo taken together when they were young. So it's constantly hanging over my head when I watch this was like, is there going to be like, is this not going to rear its head again? And and after they fall in love, I thought the big kind of, you know, they can't be together because they might be brother and sister. I thought that was what was going to happen. And I have to say yay to the drama for not doing that because faux incest is weird. Like it is weird. Why is that in dramas? I don't understand it. Um, but still odd place to start your drama, right? Um, so after they meet, Gunwoo is just kind of like rich and cool. And then Jungju's kind of like sad or whatever, because, you know, this rich woman isn't her mom and she has to go back home and she spent all her money to get to Jeju Island to this party. Um, and they just kind of have this interaction where, you know, they kind of, he sort of hits on her a bit. It's a bit flirty, I guess. And there's this kind of like fake, not real, very flirty promise to sort of like one day, maybe, you know, if they grow up and she gets real hot and he, you know, doesn't get taken by a different woman maybe you know they could be together in 10 years when they grow up and I was like that's that's fucking charming and lovely <laughs> not really <laughs> and then the drama flips forward 10 years um and then this is all the stuff that I just didn't mind I actually quite enjoyed it and I think that's why this show lulled me in because I think probably realistically I really enjoyed it for the first half it does walk the line between being annoying but mainly it's good and then it just slowly goes downhill by repeating the same storylines and it does take you a little while to realize that they've been repeated so it's like I think I watched the same thing happen about three times before I was like oh fuck like that's what's going on now um but you know the first half I really did enjoy. Um, so what happens is Jungju, um, the female lead has grown up. She's living in Seoul. She's just, you know, working hard, got a job. She's sort of just toiling away. And she has a boyfriend who lives in Japan and never sees her. And she's sort of imagining that they'll be able to get married. And she saved up money to buy a house. And of course, instead of her going there to have a look at the apartment and buying it herself, she sends her dumb younger brother, who instead of buying the thing that Jungju wants, he buys just like a crumbly kind of... Um, uh, just a crumbly old cottage on Jeju Island by the sea, which I have to say, if it was done up, would be fucking amazing. And I'd like to live there. But Jungju feels less excited about it than I did. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, just just make it nice and move in. It's gorgeous. Um, but she didn't feel that way. She was really angry about it. So and then, of course, you know, her boyfriend dumps her and, you know, she loses her job. Everything goes to shit. And she ends up on Jeju Island looking at this, you know, house and she meets back up with Gunwoo, who happens to have own a restaurant like literally two minutes down the road from her new house and one thing I really liked about this drama that I thought was done really well Gunwoo might have occasionally from time to time thought about Jungju I think over the years since they were parted but Jungju has sort of turned Gunwoo into this fantasy you know she's had this really hard sort of poverty candy style lifestyle <laughs> lifetime and she has sort of put him up on a pedestal as this what does she call him like knight on a black horse or something you know the idea that maybe they'd meet one day and he'll sweep her off her feet and save her I guess from her life and she sees him at a restaurant and she's um, in Seoul kind of before the whole thing with the house and she's very embarrassed because she's not all dressed up she's not all nice and he's real handsome walking around in his suit with his rich friends in the rich restaurant 
and she just can't even approach him, you know. And there's this this moment, I suppose, of like her fantasy coming crashing down, and it's really sad. It's kind of reminds me, you know, that idea of of sometimes it's easy to get endure things that you're not really that happy about because you have hope. And I guess in a way for Jungju, he was this fantasy hope that she had that has enabled her to live her life. And I suppose by losing the fantasy of him and it crumbling down and her realizing it's not going to happen kind of makes her realize maybe she's not that happy after all, because without that thing to live for, she realizes what is she living for? And then of course her entire life crumbles down anyway. And I really like to, um, I can totally see at the start of the drama why Jungju is totally swept off her feet by Gonwo. It totally makes sense at the beginning <laughs> because Jungju has this idea, you know, that her and Gonwu would meet up again and he would be like, you know, Oh, I've thought about you from time to time. Like you've been on my mind and wow, you look really nice. Like you've really grown up well and you look really pretty. And they meet randomly in the airport and he literally says everything from her fantasy to her. And I thought that was really funny. And he's very charming. He's just really nice. He's really smiley. And she's very defensive because I think she feels embarrassed about the whole situation. Um, you know, her life has completely been destroyed. And on top of that, she's embarrassed about the fantasy element of the fact that she's been obsessing over him for 10 years. Um, but yeah, I, I can totally get how he sort of accidentally manages to sweep her off her feet a bit. But then I guess the kind of big misunderstanding comes into play. And I actually really liked it. So I guess the kind of the whole foundation that their relationship is built on at the beginning is that Jungju takes mints when she's stressed out. And she has like, you know, a little mint bag thing filled with them and it pops open and the mints go flying. She needs a container to put them in. And an old Ajuma has sort of left like her pillbox in um, a bathroom. So Jungju steals this old Ajuma's random pillbox. Oh, she didn't steal it. It got left behind. And it happens to be for like really intense painkillers um, that are for like stage four, like um, terminal cancer kind of stuff. And Jungju doesn't think anything about it. She just puts her mints in there and she's constantly, because she's so stressed, she's constantly popping like five of these mints every two minutes. And of course, Gunwoo sees this and realizes that potentially, um, you know, she's she's dying is what he thinks. He thinks that she has a terminal illness and the way that she talks about things too is so final and she's going to like, you know, be in Jeju until she dies and all this stuff. And it's because she's so morose and depressed about her life being completely destroyed. And on top of that, as charming as Gunwoo is, she realizes pretty quickly that he's a complete mess. He's been cut off from his credit cards. He's kind of like mooching money off people. His, his restaurant is ridiculous. No one goes there to eat. Like he's a very talented chef, but he's not a good businessman. And um, he's completely in love with this other woman, like insanely following her around his whole life. Um, so the fantasy is really sort of cracked open for Jungju. But meanwhile, Gunwoo thinks that she's dying. So he starts being really nice to her and doing things for her. And he, you know, gets real worried about her and cares about her. And, you know, it's really hard, I think, for Jungju, even though she knows that he's in love with someone else, it's really hard for her to sort of fend that off because, and I totally get that. Like he's very charming at this point in the drama. 
And um, so I really liked all that stuff. Like, and, and the misunderstanding is actually quite funny. It's done quite well. Like you can totally see why he thinks that. And every single sort of interaction is colored by it. And it's only really up until the point where the misunderstanding disappears that that's the point for me when the drama begins to go downhill. And I think it's because Gunwoo, Gun he's been very nice up until that point. So if Jungju has a thing that she wants to go see a sunset up a mountain, like he goes on a mission to help her get there. If she's working really hard, he goes and he takes over the job she's doing. And it's like, go inside and rest, you know, it's a bit too hot and stuff like that. So it's very endearing. And then the second that he finds that she's not dying, he, he loses every nice quality <laughs> that he had. And he's no longer nice ever ever. And um, the whole thing with, I guess, Gunwoo and the second female lead, Jiwon, is that, you know, he's been in love with her since he was a teen and she is flighty and only cares. I guess she is literally a gold digger, I suppose, although she seems quite upper class, so I don't know why she's bothering, but she wants to marry a chable heir and she will hit on anyone that she thinks is going to be really rich, including Gunwoo's older brother, which like, I was like, whoa, when she did that, like, she's just a terrible person, frankly. And I think it's really, really interesting when you first get introduced to Gunwoo's kind of love for the second female lead, G1, because it's in, it, I guess it makes you feel sorry for Gunwoo because he loves her. He's always available to her. He comes running anytime she calls him and he's, she's constantly standing him up for other people who are better, who she perceives to be better because Gunwoo's family has a lot of money, but he's been cut off. He's not necessarily going to inherit anything. And um, so she's constantly like, I guess she doesn't want to let him go, but she also doesn't want to get with him. And the heartbreak for him is just over and over and over. And it is really, you feel really sorry for him. And I guess that did kind of, um, you know, it gives you a lot of sympathy for the character of Gunwoo. But then later on, you come to this really interesting kind of realization that Gunwoo doesn't have the wall pulled over his eyes as much as you expected when it comes to Jiwon. He knows what kind of woman she is and he knows that she strings him along and that she specifically does things to hurt him sometimes. And I was like, whoa, that's really interesting. But then, of course, when he's explaining this, he says that sometimes he does things to hurt Jiwon too. And after him and Jiwon have had a fight, Jiwon's coming back into the restaurant and Gunwoo can hear that she He's about to walk back in and he wants to make her jealous. So he fucking kisses Jungju. I think that's their first kiss. And it's literally a, I'm going to make my sort of other girlfriend jealous kiss. And Jungju like is so intense. And that I think is the point. Like I thought that was interesting. It's interesting that he, that Gunwoo was so aware of Jiwon and the kind of woman she was and the kind of person she is. But it's the point of the drama where Gunwoo just consistently begins emotionally manipulating Jungju non-stop. The stuff he does to her is awful. And she admits to him, you know, that she really, really likes him. And he's like 
basically I don't like you. I like Jiwon, the evil second female lead. Um, but I don't want any other men to go near you. I don't want you to like anyone else except me. And, you know, because obviously Jung Ju's like, all right, well, if you don't like me, I'll I'll work on cleaning up my feelings and I will, you know, I'll deal with this on my own. And Gunwoo's like, the second it looks like she's starting to turn away from him, he will do something as bad as just kiss her for no reason except to make her to make sure she never stops wanting him and it's evil like it's completely evil he does to Jungju exactly what Jiwon has done to him all those years and he just kind of turns into this really mean prick like for serious um to the point where if Jungju just anything as soon as she looks like she's turning away from him he just goes all out to be like super flirty and he already knows that she likes him um so he knows he can do it and he really works it and I just think it's really really mean and his whole reasoning behind it is Jungju's such a good person and it makes him feel like a good person to have someone like her like him it makes him want to strive to be a better person but still, like, dude, you're not a good person if you are stringing along a woman only to make yourself feel good and not because you have any intention of ever giving your feelings to her. Like, it was insane. And then that just goes around and around and around and around. And by this point, you don't really like Gunwoo anymore because he's being such a dickhead. Like, he's so mean. And he's not, he does, he's lost all the earlier, the sweetness and the thoughtfulness that he really had in spades at the start of the drama that really tips the balance from being like a petulant man child into being someone who has a lot of issues and a lot of flaws, but is overall endearing and a good person and by this point in the drama he's just totally regressed into a whiny petulant child who wants everything and doesn't want anyone else to have his things like it's so uncool um I, yeah I really I didn't like it and then just randomly really weirdly he decides oh I don't in fact love the second female lead at all I love Jungju and so even though he knows it, he's still, sorry, I just banged my hand on the table. Then I got really worked up. <laughs> um, even though he knows his feelings now, he tells everyone that he likes Jungju except for Jungju herself. And he just torments her, like emotionally torments her for episodes and episodes and episodes. Like, He'll say, you know, something like, well, oh, she gets drunk and he sort of lets her know when she's drunk that he loves her or something or likes her. And then when she can't remember it, he's he kind of like torments her with like, if you could remember what happened, then, you know, everything would be fine to the point where when she finally remembers, she's apologizing to him. And I'm like, what is going on? So it not only ruins, I think the writing not only ruins Gunwoo's character by turning him into a raging asshole, it also ruins Jung. Ju's character, who at the beginning is a woman who whose life has been destroyed and is slowly picking up the pieces, who's very hardworking, who's very kind, who's nice. Like I loved seeing her integrate with all the characters in the village and start getting along with everyone and all that kind of stuff was really charming. But then when she likes Gunwoo and he constantly is cruel to her, I, I thought he was cruel to her and she just acts like a big bloody doormat and rolls around on the floor and just does whatever he wants and comes calling, like comes running whenever he calls. It, it made me like her less because she had no spine. She had no backbone. And I think that that could work. 
so I have a weird relation. Like I always in dramas or in stories, I guess I like it when the guy falls for the girl first. That's just a thing that I really like. Um, I find that very romantic. And in but I do agree that I think if the female lead falls for the guy first, I, I do like that. And I like the idea of waiting for his feelings to turn. And then hopefully you get the satisfaction when his feelings turn towards her. Um, I guess, you know, she's less of a doormat, you know, and suddenly she has a bit more power in the relationship again, instead of it being so unequal. Um, but in this drama, because even when his feelings turn towards Jungju, he still manipulates her. He still won't quite tell her. He still acts like it's her fault that when they're not getting things together and really just plays with her quite a lot and never says what he means and expects her to like read between the lines. Like I think it, it means that she never grasps any power or equality in their relationship. And right up until the very, very end, he holds all the power. If he wants them to have a relationship, they'll have a relationship. If he doesn't want them to have a relationship, they won't. If he wants to go overseas and and wants her to come, she'll go. If he agrees to stay on Jeju, then they'll stay on Jeju. And I'm just like, that's like, that's not an equal love. Like that doesn't feel, um, you know, healthy and balanced to me personally. So I find it really hard to find that romantic, I guess. Um, so I was only supposed to talk about the beginning of the drama and I've just gone on a huge tangent. Um, so I guess that's all I'll say on the plot. There's a whole thing with his dad and a hit and run and the diving lady's ex or dead husband. I don't know. Frankly, none of it matters. Um, this is the kind of show you just watch for the chemistry and, you know, the hijinks with the female, with the, the two leads and the side characters. Um, it's not like a plotty drama where you need to care about plot. Um, but obviously things went downhill for me at the end. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know why I can't record um, short episodes anymore. <laughs> oh, it must just be all these K-drama feelings waiting to to burst out of me, and I can't I can't shut up. I'm really sorry. I'm you know my episodes are supposed to be an hour tops, and these days, phew, they're getting long. So sorry, but also I'll just keep talking. <laughs> so this is some stuff that I liked about this drama, and there is a lot that I liked. Like to be honest, I loved watching the first half. It does sort of walk the line with that old-fashioned tropey stuff, and the male lead certainly walks the line between being annoying and being charming. But it works. I really enjoyed it. So on the list of stuff I liked is Yoon Sook. Um, I like seeing his face in this drama. He does a good job of playing a very, at times, unlikable person, but he's always good. Um, and I really, really like Yoon Sook. I don't think I would have watched this drama if he wasn't in it. Um, and that sounds terrible, but there you go. It's the truth. I'm pretty sure we've all followed someone around drama land before. I certainly have, and I'm sure I will again. <laughs> Um, the other thing I really loved about this drama was the Jeju Island setting. Um, I've already talked about it, so I won't go into it, but my gosh, it is beautiful. I want to go there. It's gorgeous. Um, like I said uh, before, I really liked a lot of the side characters. I really liked the secondary romance. I thought the second male lead was really sweet and nice and kind of wished that Jungju would just get with him. Um, but even Jungju, actually, I should say, this is not something I liked. But even her, she ends up kind of stringing along the second male lead because she's constantly getting comfort from him, constantly talking about her romance issues, even though she knows that he's head over heels for her and wants to marry her. So he, she even ends up using 
blaming him. And that's why by the end of this drama, I'm like, everyone is a raging asshole in this drama. Like, I don't care what happens to any of them. Anyway, so uh, the second female lead, I actually really liked her. I found her very amusing and um, just kind of satisfyingly evil. Um, she was terrible. Uh, so other stuff I liked. Uh, oh, I've, I've written here that I liked the classic shit tropes. Hmm. I think what I must have meant by that when I wrote this note was that I did actually weirdly enjoy kind of reverting back to just such a sort of dumb old fashioned story. I don't know why I did. Um, but I think I was really looking for comfort food when I picked up this drama. I was really looking for something that maybe wouldn't surprise me. That's really weird. Um, I just wanted to kind of watch something dumb. Like, you know, when you just feel like watching something dumb and fun and fluffy and it just gives you what you need at that moment in time because of whatever, like real life stress or something. So I guess this just suited me when I was watching it. Um, the other thing I really liked was the kiss at the end. So by the time I realized that the storyline was going around in circles, um, it was kind of too, I was too far in. I'd, I'd invested too much time and the characters had only kissed, I think they kissed like twice, but both times it's Gunwoo being mean and kissing Jungju to prove a point, like to to get someone else to back off her or to make Jiwon jealous or whatever. So I was just like, I just need to get like a proper romantic kiss from this couple before the end of the drama. And hopefully there is one. And luckily, uh, at the very final episode, there was, and it's a very good kiss. It's a very satisfying kiss. It looks great. Yoon Suk is, you know, he's great. <laughs> um, by then, I didn't really care, which is the sad part. Um, so I wish that, like, it's a pretty cool, epic kiss. Like, they move their mouths. It's very good. It's very romantic. It's a bit sexy. It's really nice. And I wish that that kiss scene had been, you know, tacked onto a couple that hadn't, made me want to punch them in the throat, I suppose. That sounds very violent, but I think that's what this drama did to me. Hmm. So now it's time for the stuff that I hated. Um, I feel like I've really gone on about the stuff I hated a lot, so I'll just go through it quickly. Um, I kind of hated the romance. I loved it at the start, but then it just regressed. But when I think about it, you know, as a writer, um, something that I find really wonderful about Korean dramas and particularly romantic Korean dramas is as someone who writes, you know, relationship development and romance stories or, you know, romantic love lines within my stories, I feel like I learn a lot from watching dramas because I guess you're looking at a romance or a love story that occurs over 16 hours or 20 hours or 24 hours. Um, the kind of progression of the love story and them falling in love is it can be done so subtly and it takes so long and it really delves into these changing emotions throughout the whole kind of arc of it. So I feel like I learn a lot um, by watching romance shows, you know, like it's almost like <laughs> research, I suppose. And um, I've certainly been inspired by the story beats in romantic stories to, you know, then write my own, like just little things like in my book, Promise, Seri um, Promise Season, you know, the couple start out bickering and disliking each other. And then, you know, they have an argument that 
deepens their understanding of each other. So even though it's a negative argument, it it enables them to get to know each other a bit more. And then that enables them to um, trust each other a little bit, even though they still, you know, don't like each other particularly. So things like that story beats of how romance can occur is something that Korean dramas do so well. And I feel like I learn so much from them. And I guess my point is on this list of stuff that I hated, what I watched this 16 hour drama that is a romance drama. I don't think I learned anything in terms of romance development or relationship development or anything that I could ever use for my own writing from this drama. Um, nothing. Like, I don't think I wrote down a single note. Um, and particularly in terms of the romance, um, I didn't learn anything. You know, Gunwoo is nicer at the beginning than he is at the end. Jungju is stronger at the beginning than she is at the end. She just turns into a doormat by the end. He'll do anything that Gunwoo says. Like, the characters even reverted. And I certainly didn't kind of look at their romance and feel inspired to create something, um, you know, inspired by that. So that kind of sucked when I realized that, when I realized, oh my gosh, I just spent 16 hours of my life and I actually don't think I learnt anything. I didn't like that. <laughs> uh, like I said before, Gunwoo's character, ooh, not good. I just, he, he whines a lot um, in a very, hmm. And uh, the next point was the manipulations. I really didn't like that. As I said, I didn't like that Jungju becomes such a passive character. She has a bit of spine at the beginning and it just disappears. Another thing I didn't like was I think the writing wasn't very good. I mean, obviously it's a classic kind of storyline where there isn't a lot going on, but I think, you know, I don't think the writing was great. I think particularly the fact that the characters changed so drastically, like the fact that Gunwoo lost a part of his personality that was his kindness just disappeared from him. Like that seems like bad writing to me. Like he, he, I didn't feel like he was only being nice to Jungju because of her terminal illness. I felt like there was something in Gunwoo that was nice. I thought he had a kindness about him and it disappeared. So I think that's bad writing. Um, and yeah, the plot stuff with the dad and, and the, like the history of their dads, like, I mean, who I didn't care. It was silly. And I, I'd stopped watching those small bits. <laughs> so I think that's it from me. And that's certainly enough because I've gone on about it for a very long time, probably a bit longer than I expected to. Um, but that's all I'm going to say about Warm and Cozy, the 2015 drama written by the Hong sisters. Um, it's a rom-com, apparently. Should you watch it? Oh my gosh. If you've got like literally nothing else to watch, if you've literally watched every other drama, um, sure, watch it. If if you love Yu Yeon Suk, then you can watch it. But I think if you feel nothing for Yu Yeon Suk and... <laughs> then I don't know. I don't know if I'd be particularly suggesting this one for you. Although the start is charming. I did really enjoy it. Maybe watch half of it. I think that's what you should do. And then skip forward to episode 16, skip forward half of episode 16 and just see the kiss and then stop watching. That would be my advice. So, um, yeah, that's it. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs>
Now it's time for my random thing of the week. <laughs> I really couldn't think of anything on the spare of the moment. I didn't prepare anything this week and I hadn't really thought about it. <laughs> so I was looking up my notes in my phone to try and find something um, that maybe I'd made a note about earlier. Um, and I did, but not. it wasn't meant to be for my random thing section. <laughs> I'm sure it was meant to be something that I never talked about ever again. But um, basically what happened was the man that I love and I were hanging out, just chatting and and we were playing a really dumb game and I wrote some notes because what we were doing <laughs> was um, finding alternate ways to describe everyday things, like ways that logically make a lot of sense, but that sound really stupid. So I've got some for you. So uh, <laughs> the first one is land boat. Land boat is a different way to describe a bus. A land boat. You could also describe a bus as a floor plane. <laughs> See, I told you it was really stupid. <laughs> also, what about a recorder? You know, a recorder that makes music. You could also call a recorder a music noodle or a song stick. <laughs> I feel like we had a lot more that we made up. And um, maybe I'm laughing about it more than I should be because it's actually really stupid and embarrassing. <laughs> Um, but I don't have any more on the list to tell you, um, which is probably good for you, but sad for me because I would have liked to <laughs> tell you some more. All right. I think that's it from me. How embarrassing. Gosh. So for my something that I'm loving this week, um, I have a book for you. Another book, of course. So this book is called Convenience Store Woman and it's by a Japanese author, Sayaka Murata, and it has been translated into English. It is a very slim, I guess you would, I guess they call it literary fiction, but it's very easy to read. It's not like over the top language or anything like that. It's very accessible, I suppose I should say. Um, it's a really interesting story. So it's about this, this woman who's 36 years old who has been working part-time or like on a casual basis in a convenience store for 19 years. And she's a little bit different to other people. Her brain is just wired a little bit different and she is very satisfied and happy with the way that she lives her life. And her life literally revolves around this convenience store. She lives, like she sleeps at night to get enough rest to go to work the next day. She eats food to fuel her body so she can stand on her feet all day at work. Um, and she is happy. You know, she's found a way to positively be useful in society and contribute. Um, so she's found her place in life. Um, but the point of the story is, uh, you know, as she's growing older, suddenly or not suddenly, but there's been this buildup of pressure, you know, like, why don't you get married? Why don't you get a real job? When are you going to have kids? Like, you know, is this enough for you? Why are you living your life this way? It's not acceptable, blah, blah, blah. And it was just a really interesting kind of way, I suppose, to look at society and the unspoken rules that are part of, I guess, the world that we live in, that these certain things are not acceptable or not considered acceptable, or you are considered to be weird or a social outcast or something wrong with you if you live your life in a way that doesn't necessarily match that unspoken rule. And the thing that's kind of strange about it is when you read this book, it really makes you realize how ridiculous that is. Like if she's happy living her life that way and working in the convenience store, what's wrong with that? You know, she's not hurting anybody. 
but it, it makes other people uncomfortable. Like they don't understand it. So they feel uncomfortable about it. Um, and I just thought it was really interesting, you know, that there are all these rules that, you know, they're not legalities, they're not actual legal government rules, but they are unspoken rules that if you kind of change from that what's considered normal, I suppose, then people feel like they have a right to comment about these things. You know, when are you getting married? When are you going to have a kid? Like all this kind of stuff. And I just found it such an interesting exploration of, yeah, I guess of, of those ideas that I think are so universal. Um, I think everyone has felt that pressure, you know, of living a particular life that is considered to be acceptable. And if you divert from that and try to do something different, um, people can be weird about it. You know, they, it can make them feel uncomfortable. Um, so I really enjoyed this book. I felt like it was really eye-opening in terms of just looking at that societal pressure and realistically the weirdness of it like how weird is it that there are certain things that you should do you don't have to do them there's nothing written down that says you have to but everyone feels like they should and a lot of people literally live their life in that particular way because of that societal pressure you know a lot of people get a nine to five and get a house and get a job and have kids because they think that's what they should do. And they might not interrogate whether that's what they really want or not. Um, and I guess I found that really interesting reading a book that is able to, in such a clever way, just sort of talk about how odd <laughs> that whole thing is, you know, that whole societal structure and how odd it is that this woman can't just do the thing that she enjoys, you know, even though it's certainly not what I'd enjoy. I don't want to work in a convenience store for 19 years personally, because I don't think I'd find that fulfilling. But I know there's a lot of people that would look at what I do, um, you know, spending hours and hours and hours of my life writing books that, you know, potentially will never make any money or do anything like uh, I love it. So I need to do it. It's what I need to do with my life. But a lot of people would look at me and be like, why don't you get a real job? I mean, I've got a real job, but it's, you know, it's only three days. Why don't you get a proper job? Why don't you get a proper income? Why don't you have financial stability? Why do you risk it all on your creative dreams? You know? So I just found it really interesting in the way that this book really made me reassess and think about the world and society and expectations. Um, and hopefully, I hope it also opened my eyes to making me less ju judgmental about people who choose to live their life differently to me. Um, because I think it's so easy to get caught up in what you want and what you think is the right thing and a good thing and forget that everyone's very, very different. And the long as someone is happy and satisfied with their existence and they're not hurting anyone and they're doing something positive, like what does it matter if it's considered weird or against the norm? So I guess it made me think a lot. And I love books that make me think and reassess and self-interrogate as well. So I thought that was really cool. Um, so the book again is called Convenience Store Woman. It is translated from Japanese and it's by the author Sayaka Murata. Um, it's a really quick, easy read. So I think I'd suggest um, giving it a go if that sounds like something you might enjoy. All right, that's it from me.